exceptional performance. The Leaders Podcast. This podcast is an introduction to the 10 essential elements to achieve an exceptional performance culture. Episode by episode, we break down five elements in planning, the what, and five elements in leadership, the how, by having experts share their experience, knowledge, and expertise in realizing these essential elements. In our first five episodes, the what, or the planning elements, were explored. They can be revisited at ProductiveLeadership.com. The how, or the leadership elements, are explored in our last five episodes. Episode 6, we take a look at leading performance, accountability, and communication. Next, in Episode 7, we explore culture, first by defining the desired operating culture, then in Episode 8, by measuring the current culture, Episode 9, leading the desired culture, and finally, in Episode 10, embedding the desired culture, the last podcast in this series. In our last podcast, we sat down with Dr. David Jameson to discuss the measurement of culture. And today, we shift our attention to a third aspect, leadership. So Rob, we defined and measured our culture to find and improve where our weaknesses were. Now, how do they go about actually leading differently? Well, like we've been talking about, Eric, the good news is if our listeners are in an environment where they want to change their organizational or team culture from what it is to what they want it to be, they can look no further than the behaviors of the senior leadership team. It's where about 70% of the answer lies. I mean, how many times have you experienced a company or a department which ends up evolving to behave very much like the team leader? I worked for um, a a particular organization for almost 18 years, and you could see as new leaders of our subsidiary came in, within a year or two, the whole company was a lot like the leader, whether that leader was very dynamic and uh, very uh, temperamental uh, very analytical. It always showed up sooner or later. And, you know, I've even seen it coaching hockey teams. Uh, I used to coach against a rival uh, team and uh, their coach, when he plays, is very much an offensive player. Um, doesn't pay too much attention to back checking and defense and goaltending, but usually, you know, he'd score a lot of goals. Well, it was the same thing with his teams that he coached. Eventually, they they took on the same kind of traits and characteristics. They were very offensively gifted team, but if you're going to beat them, it ended up beating them with defense and goaltending. So the opportunity here lies right in the corner office and the folks that are around that corner office. So what can senior leadership do at this point? Well, once they've taken ownership and they accept the responsibility and the fact that they are a big part of the downstream culture, we recommend that each member of the executive team be provided a trusted resource, whether it's an internal resource like a mentor or an HR professional or an external coach. Take the opportunity to process their own personal data from the measurement stages that Dr. Jameson talked about. So how are they either contributing to the desired culture or potentially contaminating the desired culture? They can glean lots of good data from like a Barrett values report. They get an individual values assessment that gives them some really good insight to their contributions or contaminations. And the 360s, of course, are always very helpful because they provide not only quantitative scoring on competencies and behaviors, but most of them have an opportunity for respondents or folks in the work environment of that executive to give feedback, specific behavioral examples and comments. So with that in hand, that coach and mentor resource can begin to help the executive prepare what we call an individual leadership of culture development plan. 
And just like we described in the alignment and accountability process in module five in relation to the business plan, this individual development plan around cultural leadership can give the senior leader a chance to really take ownership on their own contribution and their opportunity to contribute at a higher level. And we like to see four elements in that development plan that are really important. The first is for each executive leader to identify what are the top three ways that they support the current desired culture. Typically, these are behaviors or leadership tendencies that have, again, come out of the Barrett data or out of a 360-type review. Second area is what do they see as their primary area for contributing more effectively to the desired culture? Is there something they're doing that's contaminating the desired culture? Do they have a behavior tendency that's been noted by other folks and that they're self-aware? The third is, okay, so if they make some adjustments to their behavior and uh, reflect on how that can affect the business and their performance, what's the ROI for their employer? What's the big deal if, let's say, the director of operations backs out of a micromanagement type of approach and becomes more empowering of their employees. The employer should understand from the executive's perspective what impact his or her behavior change can have on culture and performance. And then the last question is just like we reviewed earlier when it came to individual leadership development. For cultural leadership development, the dirtiest question of them all is for that individual executive to say, why they want to change and grow as a leader of culture. What's their personal motivation for acting more effectively and uh, walking the talk on the culture that the organization wants to see in, in the business? So once they have this individual plan, what do they do with it? Well, the key here is for the executive to make sure that the boss has their back. Does the CEO or executive team leader see their development plan for leading culture the same way they see it? Do they agree on their top strengths? Do they agree on where the primary opportunity is for more effective cultural leadership lies and what impact they can have on culture, what their motivation is for change? If there's buy-in from the next level up, then what we find is that it empowers the individual executive team member to go ahead and make those behavior change adjustments through coaching and development. So let me give you an example. If you remember back to the conversation we were having a couple of podcasts ago, Eric, around one of the medical affairs directors that we were working with, you know, she was really um, providing strong leadership, but there was some entropy in the feedback she got back from the data that we got from Barrett. And it was, I think, I think it was underlined or reinforced when she looked at her 360 feedback as well. So she got kudos for her contribution to innovation because she was a strong strategic thinker, very creative. On the other pillar of their culture, which was continuous improvement, she was seen as a very strong coach of her people and even cross-functionally did a good job of coaching people. And on the third pillar of the desired culture, which was customer centricity, she was given very high marks and a lot of positive feedback, qualitative feedback around what we call courage of convictions. Um, so she presented this plan to her boss and her boss agreed with all three of those very much was consistent with his observations of her behavior and what traditionally had been her strength as a leader, kind of her leadership brand, if you want to call it that. Now, when they got to the part of where she had an area for development, when it, as it affected the desired culture they were trying to create, one of the things that was identified was 
she had some gaps in her priority management skills that were affecting all three of their value, uh, uh, valued um, uh, core value statements, which were innovation, continuous improvement, and customer centricity. She had some really mediocre skills in priority management. And what was typical, and we see this all the time, especially with executives, it's at that level of achievement, they don't normally have a glaring weakness, but there's something that if they improved, it could really free up a lot of their their more significant talents and skills. So because she wasn't managing her time as effectively as she could, she wasn't getting to spend as much time adding strategic thinking and creativity to the business, providing coaching for her people and cross-functionally, um, spending time debating and discussing what was right for the for the business. And that was really uh, a gap that was getting in the way of her strengths. So what did she do to improve that and what kind of effect did it have? Well, she, she did a lot. And it goes back to that fourth dirty question I'd mentioned a minute ago. I mean, she really wanted to change. She was getting some feedback, not only at work, that she found a little bothersome, but she took it um, to heart and really tried to make some adjustments. Uh, but she was also getting some feedback at home that this gap she had in priority management because they had a very busy household, uh, quite a number of children, things going on, you know, typical raising teenagers environment. Um, you know, she, she was getting feedback that she was spreading herself a little thin at home too. So she was very motivated to change her behavior for the benefit of her employer, of course, but also to provide some stronger leadership on the home front. And I've seen this um, with lots of folks. Uh, we had a leader at one point who um, again, had some feedback, really wanted to provide a stronger leadership footprint. And the first time he came back with his development plan, his boss really didn't like the answer he gave to, well, why do you want to change? It seemed kind of just sort of, uh, tell me what I want to hear kind of answer, like, oh, I want to advance my career. And he looked at this young executive and said, you know, I think you need to go back to the drawing board because I really don't see that you've got this, you know, the appetite for change. You're nodding your head, but I really don't see it. So I, I remember hearing this story back from his coach and his coach said to me that uh, they had a chance to revisit. And she said, well, look, what's happening outside of work? Because your boss wasn't buying your, your story for why you were motivated to change. This gap you've got in terms of time management, is it showing up anywhere else? And he said, yeah, actually kind of broke my heart last night. I went home to a little late from work again. And there were, there was my son standing in the doorway with his hockey stick under his chin saying, Hey, uh, dad, you know, my game tonight. And he said, oh yeah, yeah, let me just change and I'll take you to the rink. He said, no, I just came home. You missed another one. And then threw his stick and his bag down the stairs and ran up to his room and slammed the door. And the young executives thought to himself, you know, when I was a kid, my dad couldn't find time to go to my games because he was too busy trying to raise a bunch of kids. Here, I've got only a couple of kids and only one in hockey, and I can't even make it to a game. And i supposedly signed up to be an assistant coach. So I need to change this because I'm not letting this time get away on me. So he brought that answer back to the second meeting with his boss and the coach and the boss were much more impressed with the level of genuine desire to change. Well, changing behavior at any level can be extremely difficult, but how do you guys encounter with you and your partners the change of behavior? Well, you know, like you say, it's, it's not easy uh, in any facet of life, but it makes a big difference when you're starting with a foundation of ownership. If the executive has a really good answer to those four questions we talked about earlier. But from that point, you know, I love that expression. You can't learn to swim by reading a book by the side of the pool. 
there's a there is a place for theory and best practices, but most executives they know what needs to be done. It's are they consistently behaving in a way that supports the desired culture? So what we find works best is um, that seventy percent of the learning and the behavior change come from experiential. So on the job with a little mentorship and coaching and guidance, getting the the executive a chance to try different techniques and ex- experience the the positive impact it can have on results. Twenty percent from just good reflection, discussion with a coach, with maybe some learning peers, uh, maybe with a dedicated mentor uh, or HR executive from within the within the company, just a kind of chance to you know absorb, chew on it, put their hands in the dough, so to speak. And then there is a place for we'd say ten percent from being exposed to best practices or materials. So it's a lot like the learning. Uh, that we talked about in module five in that podcast. And if you look at just basic leadership development, leading cultures know really no different in terms of methodology. Um, and, you know, the biggest reinforcement, Eric, is the is the results. You know, that's what we find. If people follow that 70-20-10 formula, they invariably find that, go back to the example of the micromanaging medical affairs director, when when she learned to let go and allow her people to step up and not be so focused on the how they were doing their job, just agree on the desired outcomes and let them use some creativity, give them more empowerment and back out of what they were calling in her 360, a little bit of a control-free tendency. You know, when she did that, it was unbelievable the impact it had on results. Now, you know, we all know positive reinforcement is a great learning vehicle. And in, in an organization, especially a competitive organization, there's nothing like that medical affairs director being able to walk into her boss's office and say, look, I've been trying some of these new techniques. And they both look at the data and go, yeah, and look at the kind of innovative ideas your team's been coming up with, the feedback we're getting unprompted. And then she got that reinforced just not too long ago in a 360. So all of that adds up. Uh, there's nothing that uh, affects change more than trying some things and seeing the positive results and having it be so personally rewarding. She also got this on the home front from her teenage kids who said, you know, mom, we don't need you to make our lunch for us anymore. We don't need you to plan every dinner, every vacation we take. Let's just be a little bit more spontaneous. And uh, when you're getting positive feedback on both fronts, it tends to make the behavior stick. And when you see behavior change like that, does it show up in the data when you're measuring the culture? Yeah. And when you reflect back to what you and Dr. Jameson were talking about, we've had a number of examples where Companies have gone back in and sort of remeasured, um, like a CVA from Barrett to look at how close was the current culture to the desired culture, and the retesting shows it. I mean, back to that example of the medical affairs director, one of the pillars or desired elements of the culture was innovation, and the scores went up for the whole company, mostly because her team, had, their scores went up dramatically with her behavior change and moving away from a micromanagement model to more of an empowerment model. So yeah, it really does work. It really does show up. And I think it then contributes to why those folks bring more value to the company and more and more importantly, why they bring more value to the customer. Thanks, Rob. That brings us to the end of episode nine of Exceptional Performance and towards the last of the 10 elements, embedding the desired culture. I'll be sitting down with Rob again for episode 10, to discuss this implementation, and to see what comes after the 10 elements we've focused on so far. Until then, be sure to subscribe to hear past episodes and visit ProductiveLeadership.com for more information. On behalf of myself, Rob, and the team working to bring you this show, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.